Welcome back to another episode of the Hoop Journal podcast. Today, I'm joined once again by two special guests. I have Mitch from Hoops Dissection and Carter from Trade Talks here to talk about the first round of the playoffs. How are you boys doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. I'm doing good, man. Raps won the last two games, so I'm pretty excited. Raps. We'll get to the Raps for sure. Um, I mostly want to talk about the Celtics Nets, uh, given that that was the first series in the first round that had finished off. Um, but we will touch on each series. And I also want to get to the Charlotte Hornets firing their head coach, James Borrego. Uh, that was uh, released a few days ago. I just want to touch on uh, just sort of that situation and what I think is next for the Hornets. So we'll actually start there before we get into the playoffs. Uh, were either of you guys surprised by this move or did you think that uh, the Hornets were going to move in a new direction? The first thing I can always point to is how well the development of their younger guys has trajected under him. Um, it's, it's hard to point to like an individual problem with his coaching style, because again, he's, I, I view him more of as a player coach. Like he's always, he's been really good at supporting everybody that comes in. Um, LaMelo has stated that he's been in his corner a bunch of times, although there was some turbulence in terms of consistent playing time. Um, the big issue I'd point to, and this is what a lot of people saw coming uh, was he has some ridiculous fourth quarter uh, time management like I've never seen a guy sit his hottest player for six straight minutes in the fourth mm -hmm. quarter down 10 points. Uh, I've never seen having your star point guard come off the bench in the fourth, um, despite only playing like 28 minutes uh, towards the end of the season when they were specifically making a push. Uh, he had LaMelo against the Knicks come in four minutes into the fourth as they were down 16 and miles bridges didn't touch the court until there was four minutes and 38 seconds left. And by then the game was over. So weird decision-making, but again, it seems like the young guys really like what he's doing. So it kind of came as like a, like, no, oh, well, unless they have like another option, it's kind of a left field decision for me. Yeah. I, I, I personally wanted him to get fired. I mean, I know the I mean, I know how bad some of the players are on like defensively and stuff and they have no center. I mean, they got Montrez Harrell and Mason Plumlee at center, but like, I don't know, like some of the games, like, you can't come out that flat in the playing games. Like, yes, I know, like, it is the players take responsibility, but, like, to me, that's also, like, a coaching thing. Like, you can't lose in, like, a winner-go-home game to get into the playoff by, like, what, 25 points? And it was it was mental lapses. It was defensive lapses, rotations. Like, they would come out of a timeout, and they would just look discombobulated. They just didn't know what they were doing, it looked like. And I, like, yes, it, a lot of it had to do with player personnel, but, like, I don't know. For me, I think they need, like, a new voice in there. I don't know. That's just personally me. And like, like Mitch said, the time management and stuff like that. Like I remember the bulls game, like I think it was a year and a half ago, maybe. And like the, the Zach Levine thing. Oh, the Zach like, Levine game, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Greg quotes like that, but I, I've seen Charlotte just like melt down in like the fourth quarter all the time and stuff like that too. Like, yes, they've had their moments and stuff like that. And I just feel like, I don't know. LaMelo ball has been like, yes, he's like progressed a bit like that. But and like bridges has and stuff like that. But like, what about like guys like PJ Washington? Like he's fallen off. Like, if we're if they're gonna go for a development stage, why is why is Book Knight not playing at all? Yes, I know he was like really inefficient at times, but like yeah. growing pains. I mean, like look at a guy like Precious Achua, like from the Raps. Like we had lots of growing pains with him in the first half of the season. That's how it's gonna be. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm glad he got fired, and I just I don't I'd agree with like half the decisions he was making half the time. And I mean, like they just they were so flat in like the biggest games at some point. I just like I don't know. I agree with the decision. Yeah, I, I think you guys both made a good point there. Where it feels like 
you know, you look at some decisions that he makes in games and it's, it's confusing at times, but when you listen to guys like his players and you listen to other people around the league, talk about him, he is a very well-respected coach. Like he does have a lot of respect from the other coaches and his players and all that. So it's a pretty interesting situation just to, to take a look at like his whole, the totality of his Hornets career. Um, if I told you guys that James Borrego coached Tony Parker, how would that make you feel? Because he did. He was an yeah. assistant coach for the Spurs. Yeah. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. His no, Tony Parker's last season in the league when he played for the Hornets. I remember that. Yeah, no, I remember that. How long was Borrego there for three or four seasons? This was his fourth season. Okay. Yeah. Which that, like I was looking at this before the pod and that just shocked me. Like that just, the timelines there just don't really feel like they line up. Tony Parker and James Borrego. Yeah, I remember. I mean, Tony Parker didn't play that much, I don't think. But like, no, he did. Yeah, he played like half the games. But just, just the fact that Tony Parker was still around in the league, yeah, and James yeah. Borrego was the coach, yeah. is wild. But to look at his whole his whole tenure with the Hornets in that first season, eighteen nineteen, they go thirty nine and forty three. They're the nine seed. Um, also, I wanted to mention Michael Kidd Gilchrist was still on that team too. Just Michael Kidd Gilchrist. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, they go thirty nine and forty three. They're the nine seed. Then they come back the next year. They actually they're twenty three and forty two. Of course, they had the shortened season because of COVID. Um, but they're somehow 23 and 42 is good for the ninth seed Devonte Graham, most improved player, uh, the following year, you know, they get LaMelo and Hayward in there. They go 33 and 39, which is, they fall to the 10 seed. And then obviously, of course, they get dominated by the Pacers in that playing game. Um, and then this year, you know, we go from 72 to 82 games and they essentially just take those extra 10 games and win all of them. They go 43 and 39, still the 10 seed though. And again, get dominated in the playing tournament by the Hawks. They were ninth in defense this year. 23rd or excuse me ninth in offense 23rd in defense um I honestly you know just looking at year by year I really don't feel like you know the Hornets like failed to meet expectations given what the roster was like I really don't feel like you know Borrego failed to reach some sort of goal in terms of how competitive this team was yeah not at all but I I think it was I think if you look at it from that point of view I don't think he's gonna get fired but when you put the, the context into it I think he does just from the fact that like the two playing games and like if you're going to stay in the nine to ten seed, let's start developing book night let's start focusing on washington like let's start focusing on other good players like, like let's get an actual center in there and start developing because you know it's going to take time to actual like develop an actual defensive scheme and stuff like that you know what i mean so it's like it feels like yeah, they're just trending having, no, having no defensive center though that's not on borrego though that was on the front office no, i know that's no, i know that's not on Borrego. why like even like i don't know depends how you feel on kai jones and like even throw him some rotation and it's sort of like yeah, they, yeah. Who did they trade from Montrezl Harrell? I, like, I hated that. Uh, I hated that trade. And they gave up, it was what, like Ish Smith in the second round pick? It, you know, it was fine. But yeah, that, that was not the direction they should have gone. Yeah, the fact that Kai Jones and James Booknight essentially got like no run this year, um, that yeah, that doesn't really feel like Hayward out too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's where like it has to, like, I don't know. That's, that's my opinion. If you're going to yeah. tread water and stay at the like the, the nine to 10 seed the entire mm-hmm. time, they traded Vernon Carey. Like, they, uh, like, if you're going to, like, Vernon Carey and Kai Jones, like, I don't know how you guys feel about them, but, like, I don't know. I'd give that a bit. If you're going to stay the 9 to 10 seed, I'd give I'd rather have them than Mason Plumlee playing, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. And even their vets had issues with consistent roles. Like, um, yeah. when he was there, um, Kelly Oubre was very vocal about being, like, sometimes I'm, like, the third option on the line, sometimes I'm the seventh. And even Trez was just, like, I feel – I'm used in bursts when I could be playing for 38 a game. And like, I get that, like I get having that mentality. And then there's another thing about his whole development, like on the court. Yeah. Like he shown flashes of being able to manage personalities. It's off the court that he had like zero control or sway over whatever happens with that team's personnel. He's not a very vocal guy in terms of um, like orchestrating the strings. Um, Like, 
yeah. like you said, there's like LaMelo himself was like, I feel like I, I have to be in there in the fourth quarter. Like that's my job as your star player. That's what I should be able to do. And the amount of times where he would sit five minutes into the fourth and again, like it falls back on poor time management. You don't yeah. rest your player in the fourth. You rest him at the end of the first because the last minute and 30 of the first doesn't matter that much. And by the time you transition to the second quarter, you get an extra 45 seconds. Mm-hmm. So if you're resting him, rest him in between those quarters. Don't rest him in the fourth. Play, play LaMelo and Bridges need to be playing the fourth. And the fact that they had a lot of missed time there means the writing was on the wall for that though. Like it was yeah. a lot of inconsistent roles throughout the roster. And then guys who should be seeing runs when the season's out of reach. Like I'd, I'd much rather commit to the idea of being bad and non-competitive, but then developing the young guys than treading water in the play-in only to get bounced from that play-in. Right. Mm-hmm. So where do you guys, where do you guys think they go from here um, in terms of like what type of coach they hire? Because for me, I think they should look really long and hard at like the first time head coach. You know, you look at what Willie Green did this year with the Pelicans, uh, what Ime Doka's done with the Celtics. I think they should get someone in there doesn't necessarily have to be former player probably is, you know, the better route. I think we've seen that, you know, work really well in the past few years. Um, but just in terms of like mindset and like philosophy, what type of coach you think they should be targeting? I want them to get, uh, I think Adrian Griffin would be pretty dope. The Raps allow that. I mean, which they probably would. Yeah. The Raptors. Uh, is uh, I mean, like, uh, it didn't work for Pajorkin and stuff like that. But, like, I mean, look at Finch and stuff like that. You can just, like, see some defensive schemes he throws in there, play fast pace. Like, their stars are being better playmakers and stuff like that. I just feel like, I don't know, I feel like it makes the defensive, like, I don't know, the defensive identity to have some sort of identity on defense or, like, not as bad as, like, as they are. Be better in clutch time. I don't know, work on, like, Lamelo's like, I don't know, it just feels like right now Lamelo's like, yes, he's gotten better and stuff like that. But, like, is he going to be the guy we all thought he was? Like, I don't know. I think you just need a guy in there to like really put in a system for him and just like let him go to work and let him play 38 minutes a game or 37 minutes a game. Like let it open up, like take, get him a stretch five, like let the court open up for him Like get a turner or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and just one other note, like this is why I also think like he might get fired too. Like they had, they're the worst team in overtime in the entire league. Oh, and seven, like, but like you're telling yeah. me those seven games don't come back to bite you. Like oh, and seven is pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, and seven in overtime. Yeah. One game, it was a one-game difference, you know. If they win that one game, they're the uh, 17. But, yeah, I don't know. Adrian Griffin, I, don't know. I saw it before, so they might get Mark Jackson. At least he's well-respected, at least. So, I don't know. Mitch, what do you think? I think at this point, you need somebody who's going to commit to the idea of developing your youth rather than – because, again, as, 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 as an organization, they sit in a very weird timeline uh, because they have an abundance of youth that could fill out a starting five. Um, they, they legitimately have coverage where they need it for the youth, but they don't mix in enough of the actual bursts of chances because there's going to be growing pains for every player in the entire NBA. Some will have more apparent ones than others, but no matter how good you start, you'll have bumps. I, look at Cade's start. Look at Mobley, who had a little up and down dip, still consistent, but a little up and down. Scotty, his start was kind of like a trajectory boost and then a flat line and then a plateau and then a boost again. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how good you are, you're going to have growing pains. So the idea is that you want a coach that's going to commit to, I understand that we're going to be bad short term, look to the long term. Now, the problem with that is the candidates out there, there's not a name that comes to mind that says, that they have the experience with that. Like Griffin was a great example because he's been in the assistant role. He understands the idea of a core development team. I mean, hell, when he, 
he's been with one of the best development teams in the entire league. So he understands that there is going to be blips for it. Um, I don't think you need to bring in a guy like Mark Jackson. I don't think Mark Jackson even wants to be a part of that um, considering I have seen his name bounce with LA, but that's a whole nother crock pot. I don't want to open. Um, I mean, like Darvin ham, maybe, but like his he's been a longtime assistant to Budenhoser, so I don't know what you do there. Um, he's really good at in terms of like team chemistry building. I would probably give him the nod on that one. Um, it's just like you could throw a name like Jaron Collins, who's had experience with Golden State and he knows what an integrated system looks like. Unfortunately, that's not what Charlotte is. So you really gotta pick and choose out of the 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 rabbit hat of who am I going to trust with potentially only a two-year window until we can the next person yeah darvin ham is definitely a name that came to mind for me of the bucks um but yeah with someone like mark jackson like let him go rot in la or new york or something like let yeah. him go coach for those teams if he wants to come back which i'm not entirely sure that like he and like van gundy actually want to go back like i you know but yeah i, I don't even want to dive into that so it seems like you guys are taking the approach um that the hornets or at least like the hornets should take the approach that um like it more of a long-term window you know like develop the lamello bridges book night all those guys um rather than trying to compete and be as good as you can like next year well i mean what do yeah. you want to be good at i mean what do you want to be the six seed or like the eight seed i mean do they not try to be good this year right yeah yeah like i don't know what you do i mean like you're not like you have like money and stuff to go get someone i mean like honestly i i would try to trade Ubre. i think Ubre is still in term for another year and like a first round pick and like attach like Ty Jones for like Miles Turner and then new coach maybe and see what you want to do from there. And then you have Hayward back, put Boot Knight in the rotation. Yeah, see, I'm with that too. But to me, that wouldn't be like tanking for the long – if you're trading for like Miles Turner. like I'm not tanking. I'm not tanking. I just want no. them to play their players 37 minutes – or like 37 to like 39 minutes a night. And like I, just I, actually... think, I think they've got too much talented youth to tank. You, yeah. can't, be, you mm. can't be purposely trying to accumulate more of that, but you need to develop it. So – in this instance, you're not trying to be bad. You're allowing yourself to take a step back and develop the youth. And that's it's it's more of getting a mindset of we're bad, but we're not going to be bad for four years, which that's kind of like OKC's plan. Yeah. Um, in Charlotte's sense, you already have a superstar to build around in the making. LaMelo is quite literally the guy who uncaps the waterfall he can be that floor and ceiling raiser mm-hmm. the problem is is that they haven't committed to that idea in in a sense they've allowed the media to say that yeah lamello has the keys but in the fourth they still haven't given him the keys to go and do that so right. you can't pick and choose the way you go about it and carter's exactly right you're not tanking at that point you're just being bad organically yeah, or maybe you're being a, an 11 seed instead, but you're actually doing it the right way. I don't know. Maybe yeah, trade. Right. Yeah, yeah. You, you like, yeah. You, they might drop a couple wins, drop a spot in the standings, but the way that they play will set them up for better long-term success. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I would get rid of Rogier. Honestly, I think that stops Booth Knight's development, and I also think that takes. Uh, I mean, he's not, he's a shot talker too. Let's just be real. Like he's he's developed. Like I mean, Rogier's like don't get me wrong, he's a good player and stuff like that. But like, I don't think you need him. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys, there's a lot of them in the league that have like plenty of talent to be an NBA player without without question, um, but just probably not the type of guy that you want on your team if you're trying to build like winning habits and that sort of thing. I mean, we saw that with like Dennis Schroeder getting traded off the Celtics. Look how quickly they started turning things around. I think Rozier better than Schroeder, but one of those type of players for sure. 
But let's move on. I, I do want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about the playoffs. So let, let's transition into uh, the Celtics net series. I want to talk about that one first, um, just given that for me, obviously, as a Celtics fan, uh, you know, I have a lot to say. And I do think that um, it was arguably the most entertaining first round series of the bunch to this point. So, um, Carter, I'll start with you. I know you were a little bit all over the place in terms of what you predicted for this series. Um, but yeah. just talk to me a little bit about what what do you think was most surprising to you? Like, what do you come away with after watching the series and go, I can't believe that happened? For me, like when I was just thinking about today, like when we were uh, like talking about like the, what was going to be on the podcast, for me, mm-hmm. it was just like, I've never seen Durant not be able to create his own space, like off the dribble or just one-on-one. Like yeah. it was just insane. Grant Williams and Al Horford, like, and even Tatum, like, and they all were, they were just putting him like, I don't think Durant had a couple open shots off like set plays and stuff like that. But when it was just him having the ball, like the top of the key and stuff like that, it was, it was ridiculous. No never, separation. Yeah. yeah. No separation whatsoever. Usually he drives down the lane, steps up, either goes through or like stops and hits that nice mid range. And I was just like, he, he just seemed like, I don't know. He usually is so smooth and just like, wow. Like there's just like, you can't stop that. And it just like, he seemed rattled too. Like it was just like a bunch of that. If you were to tell me Dragic would shoot 56%, like from the field, like clocks, I mean, clocks and don't get me started on that dude's free throw. Like um, uh, he was okay. Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown was like 56% from the field, 43% from three, like Seth Curry yeah, shot 50%. Yeah. Like Seth Curry, like, their role players stepped up in which ways they needed to. Mill shot 54% from three. Like, the two players I thought was going to step up, Durant and K- uh, Kyrie, not the case. And, like, I knew after game one when they just gave that game away, essentially, on two layups. Boston made a great play, don't get me wrong. But, like, on two layups, I had a feeling this the series was just going to end. But, I mean, Boston's for real. Al Horford shot 60% from three. Grant Williams shot 50% from three. Like, it's just, like – Pichard shot 43%. Like they just kept coming and they wanted that. They wanted that sweep. You could even tell in game four after Tatum went out. And like, yeah, Marcus Smart, man, he's a, he's a different player now. Oh yeah. Marcus Smart. Yeah. The way Marcus Smart has played in the last four months, like could not make me happier as a Celtics fan. Uh, but you make a great point. Like the, the Nets role players really did step up. Like Bruce Brown was fantastic in the series. I think Nick Claxton outside of, of course, his horrible free throw shooting. I think he was like 17%, like something abysmal um, in yeah, the yeah. series. Outside of that, I do think he played really well. You know, like you said, Seth Curry, I think he played well. Dragic, obviously, in stretches, um, was really effective. Even Patty, but, too. Like, yeah, yeah. Patty had a resurgence a little bit after looking like a ghost in the second half of the season. But Kevin Durant, just, just the, like you said, like just getting no separation and just being totally rattled. Like he had some turnovers where, like, it was just passes to nobody. It was like he was seeing ghosts out there. Just like he would stop, he would uh, be forced to pick up his dribble and then be giving up the ball to nowhere and then Marcus Smart would come in and just pick it up and go on a fast break but it was unlike anything I've ever seen and I'm like the further we get away from the series I'm starting to think like as much as I love the Celtics defense I am starting to think that um, this is a bit of the like passing of the torch with KD uh, to Tatum I do think like last year uh, of course against the Bucks like KD was magnificent but I do think we're starting to see the wear and tear Um, you know this is year 15 for him obviously he's post Achilles tear. Uh, I do think that this could be the start of sort of the decline or like the next phase of KD's career. I agree with that. I think a thing a lot of people are overlooking is um, Emmanuel Doka had quite possibly the best game plan I've ever seen against KD. Instead of attempting to change up the pace to his level and match the punch for punch, he sped it up. He forced KD to be a creator for everybody else 
and himself by taking away the simple, like there's a thing that a lot of people misunderstand about KD. Yes, he makes the read that might not be like in front of a lot of people. He He's leveled up as a passer, don't get me wrong. But what Adoka did was force him to make the advanced read out of those set plays. And that's not something he's used to doing. Mm-hmm. What he's used to doing is the quick one dribble rise up in, in transition, the quick shooting over the top. And when you put somebody who's frustrating and then wants you to take your normal looks and then alter them on the spot, because a lot of people have a misconception about KD's reactionary uh, offense. It's not what the defense gives him. It's what his instinct allows him to do from that. Um, and what, they did at Boston as a whole was say, we're aware that you're going to try that rise up Jimmy. So let's make you try that 35 times in a row. We're not going to give you the layup. We're not going to give you the outlet three to somebody. We're going to give you that pull up 17 footer. And the problem with that pull up 17 footer is that smart's going to be draped on your hip and Tatum's going to be contesting you at the peak. And we're going to try to force you to make that pass through two defenders. And he couldn't do it. And then the mental lapses started to add up. And there's one thing to me that I always stood out about KD is that there was always this like emotionless glare after a big shot. And for the first time in his career that I've seen, like since OKC, since Golden State, he looked genuinely frustrated after a make because the energy that he had to expend to get there mm-hmm. was probably fuming. Um, I'm not going to try to say that uh, Nash pissed away the series, because I don't know what people had like an expectation of Nash to manage those rotations. Um, Kyrie like had his moments. Sure. But as a whole, he, I think Kyrie had a moment. He was good in game one. Yeah, He, he, got, he got some looks off. Not, not, I'm not yeah. saying like finals S cause again, this is the first round. If you had, if you had insane like expectations for Kyrie out of the gate, that's you're expecting him in rhythm coming out of the gate frustrated against the Boston team that he had a lot of internal emotional problems with because the, the flipping off to the crowd, that's something that tells you that you're in his head, that right. he's thinking about you. And if that's he when said, he played his best too. Like if that, he that, said, that. if he said nothing, if he didn't respond yeah. to anything, I guarantee you he would have been quiet the entire series. So the fact that they egged him on was like a glimmer of hope, but Katie not being Katie slammed the door in his face and you can't, that's the thing with, with Kevin Durant. And he'll always say this. And I love this. This is my favorite quote he's ever said. If I miss the shot, it's not something that I did. And that refers to outside factors affecting him. He, he says in the moment that doesn't affect him. I think for the first time in his career, it was front and center that the moment affected him and the moment being the ridiculous versatility of the Boston Celtics. I think another thing that a lot of people are over or, or overlooking is the Tatum jump because a lot of people now are just like, yeah, like, oh, what did you expect? It's Jason Tatum. It's like, no, no, no. His image was like kind of slammed to the, like the start of the season. A lot of people didn't expect this iteration. Like, sure, they expected the kind of point forward and scoring, but not to this extent. And people need to open their eyes and because he's a top 10 player now. And I think he's closer to middle of the pack top 10 than he is to fringe 11 and 12. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just recently posted that clip uh, of the last time you were on and uh, talking about Tatum and that leap that he's taken. And I, I stand I stand by that comparison. As, as you should, as you should, because the way Tatum played in this series, like he is elevating into that like top five conversation, into being one of those guys that can be the best player on a championship team. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, like his ability to make plays with the ball in his hands. Like we know what he does as a scorer, but 
you know, just the development that he's had as someone that can ma- manipulate defenses and just hit the open man and just create offense outside of just his own shot. Um, that's really just been so impressive for me as a Celtics fan, just seeing, you know, the progression throughout his career as, as a playmaker, because coming into the league, like I, I was really high on him, like in the draft. Um, that was like the first time I ever like got into the draft. And I, I, I was like, oh, I really hope the Celtics get this guy. He'll fit in as like a forward next to Horford as a scorer. Like he'll, he'll be, like compliment like the scoring. Um, but what he's done to become just an all around player because the defense too, like the defense that he played on Kevin Durant was unlike anything I think any of us have ever seen on Durant. Like it was absolutely incredible what he's able to do as a one-on-one defender and as well, like as a team defender too, like he, he fits into that team concept that the Celtics have so well and makes so much of it, you know, work. Um, so I, I like, I, I can't say enough about Tatum. Like I am overjoyed as a Celtics fan with the way that he's played and just the, the development path that he's on, because I really think that, he's setting himself up to be one of the best players in the league. Yeah. I, I think it's not a stretch to say that uh, because again, we're, we're about to be in a paradigm shift where the 23 year olds, 22 year olds are the ones that are going to be front runners for MVPs. And I wouldn't be surprised at all. If Tatum in the next four years, acclaimed multiple all NBA appearances for the first team and snagged an MVP in the midst of Luca rising and Giannis and Jokic and Embiid still being there. I think he's going to swoop in and, There'll be, there'll be an iteration of Tatum where people say, wow, I can see a case for him being the best in the entire world right now. Um, it might not be a sustained thing. Like he might, he might plateau at number three, but that's still enough to be an MVP candidate in my right. eyes. So I, I, I do want to uh, talk about um, like the off season for the Nets too, um, just where they go from here and how they sort of uh, build out the rest of this roster, because clearly they're going to have to make some changes. Um Carter, I'll, I'll jump back to you. What do you think? Um, like, what do you think is next for the Nets in terms of like trying to fix this roster? Because clearly, like, the construction is just not what it needs to be. I mean, I think you just run it back. You think I just run? You think the roster as is is? I think you just. I think you just run it back with Ben. I don't know. That's my. I mean, what else do you do? You're gonna trade Kyrie or Durant? I mean, the role players. The role players play as perfect as they can play, and you still got swept. So I mean, like, I got. I mean. I would fire Nash, but that's not happening. But also at the same time, what else did you want Nash to do this series? I mean, you just played a better team and your two stars played like shit. Like, let's just be real. Like, besides the first game, what did Kyrie do? Nothing. KD literally did nothing. Like, if you told me that, if we all said that at the start of the series, we'd say they're done. Like, they're going to get swept. You know what I mean? Like, if I, if, I, if I gave you the numbers from Kyrie from game two, three, four, and I gave you the numbers from KD the entire series, you'd be like, yeah, they're getting swept. You know what I mean? That's fair. No, you're right. That that's totally fair. Um, but I do yeah. think I do think that like it was pretty clear that you know the Nets don't have any wings. Like the entire roster is six three guys and under: Durant, Claxton, and Blake Griffin. That is like the whole team. And I guess like we, you know they have Joe Harris, they have Ben Simmons. Supposedly those guys are going to play basketball at some point, I guess. Um, but I just don't really feel like it's the right mix of guys around Katie and Kyrie. Like, obviously like you make a great point. Like they, the two stars played like shit. They had no hope, no matter how well Bruce Brown played. Um, but I, I do feel like there, there's some, some things that they can move around to try to build a better, like just better fits around Katie and Kyrie. Mitch, what yeah, about you? What, what do you think? Um, about season? I made, I recently made a video talking about what I think would happen if they lost the series. And I think, I think that plan and trajectory stays true. Uh, you first off, you run it back with the core 
in the sense where you see if Ben can play that Draymond role where you don't ask him to get 16 and 10, you ask him to pour in 10 and eight with a block and a steal and great defense. And you go after your Joe Ingles, your Jeremy Lamb, your Chris Boucher, you, cause you need that balanced scoring wing punch. Um, I think they're extremely guard heavy. I think you try to retain Seth as much as you can. You let Drummond go uh, because Seth is that creator where he doesn't need rhythm consistently or the rock in his hands to go get you a quick 15. Uh, the problem is their, their depth chart is insanely limited for what you want to run, run a balanced lineup with. Um, Cause you're not moving Katie or Kyrie. That's just not happening. Um, unfortunately you have guards out the ass and you have no way to spread like, Essentially, every other rotation is a small ball rotation with them. You you exactly. you have no way. And as much as I love Claxton's ability to develop, and as much as everybody likes to do the advanced Raptors Raptor stat for Blake Griffin's defense, uh, they're going to get eaten alive in majority of the big matchups. And even your stretch bigs will have a field day with them. Like I would love it if Claxton became a capable defender. Um, it's just not there right now. And you don't have the window to wait for it. You have such a short timeline to deal with everything and revamp the entirety of your identity. And you can't do that. So the best you can do is plug and fix the problems. And I think a guy like Jeremy Lamb and Joe Ingles uh, could fix that in terms of wing creation. Unfortunately, I don't think Joe Ingles and Katie have a good relationship for him to even attempt to go over there. I don't think Jeremy Lamb truly cares where his destination is so i don't know if you're going to see the best basketball out of him chris boucher kind of another thing he's kind of having like an up and down dip resurgence with toronto uh why they got rid of bembry makes no sense to me because he is another plug and play guy like that on the wing uh for toronto he played his heart out uh bembry if you ever listen to this i'd love to have you back baby um, but there are so many things that could have went right in terms of roster construction and they did nothing to say I wonder if this will work. Instead, they were like, nope, we're going to let the two pure hoopist bucket getters take us home. And surprise, surprise, they couldn't. Yeah, I, I'm i glad you brought up DeAndre Bembry because I thought when they cut him, like I, I was like a day before it happened, like I was thinking about him as like a member of their player rotation. I, I thought he'd be there um, because like, I mean, you look at the moves they made, like they, they cut him for Javon Carter, correct? And then they cut James Johnson so that they can sign Kessler Edwards to a, a full-way contract. How many minutes did those two guys play in the series at all? Like, I'm not, I, And look how far down the depth chart they're buried. They're not even the fourth guards in rotation. Like, don't get me wrong. I love me some Cam Thomas creation when he gets out there and like, mm-hmm. oh, man, that was a sick cross. And it's like, yeah, that was a sick cross. Now, here's the thing. You now have to rely on Patty Mills, Drogic, and Joe Harris, who God knows when his return is going to be, right. to then be your secondary tertiary creators. And that is not going to cut it. As much as Goran had his little blips, he was essentially a fun fairy tale story there. Also, his whole uh, spiel about having higher mm-hmm. aspirations for a, first round, for a first round sweep. Yeah, that's some poetic justice right there. The hoop guys remembered that one and said, "Let thee be smitten." I love that you brought that. I, I knew, I knew right away you were going to that. Um, I do want to touch quickly on Claxton though, um, because I think you made a great point. Like he has a lot of potential. Um, I think in stretches he had some really good plays in this series, but yeah, he's not ready to be a, a championship level start like starter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Al Horford like ate that Nets front court for lunch for all four games. So yeah, I think you made a great point there. Um, I think that's enough Celtics Nets. Uh, Let's transition to the Hawks Heat series. But first, we got to take a quick break. 
All right, coming back, I want to now touch on the Hawks Heat series. Um, Mitch, I'll kick this one to you first because I know you had something you wanted to go uh, go with on this one. I didn't watch too much of the series. I think of all eight matchups, this is the one I've seen the least. So, Mitch, I'll kick this one to you to start. Yeah, one of the first things, I mean, obviously, you know, battered and bruised Atlanta team, but the first thing that I want to point to is Trey being not only taken out of his element, but completely being disrespected from all corners of the floor so throughout his short but very memorable playoff career uh he's averaged 29 and 10 against the knicks throughout five games uh 29 and 11 against philly uh 28 and 7 against milwaukee and in five games the heat held him to 16 and 6 now don't get me wrong uh there was a lot of stuff missed for trey like there was a lot of physicality for him that should have gone his way uh but he was just absolutely it was like a vacuum he was he all of the motivation he had to get to his spots were taken away from him uh kyle lowry played him like an absolute hawk it was insane um there was so much of trey's game that he wasn't allowed to put on display and it affected every other spot uh of, of of the hawks offense um they were nobody really stepped up when it mattered for atlanta um Trey's secondary and tertiary passing was almost muted by Miami's insane length. Uh, Like there were some situations where, yeah, he got around Larry and then he was met with Tucker and Jimmy on a huge double that just immediately eliminated him. Bam played insane. He didn't get any like weird foul baity stuff Mm -hmm. and Victor Oladipo. Oh my God, man. For the amount of people that counted him out for the amount of people that were just like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter what he does. He's just like a tertiary player on this team. He really stepped up. And, and it is insane to think that over a year ago, this guy was almost written off by a majority of the NBA community. He was seen as a could have, would have, should have kind of play player uh, of like wasted potential with the injury. And there were still some lingering things like he's his burst isn't as strong as it once was. And the verticality is not there, right. but, but Miami has the uh, personnel to make up for that. I mean, oh, stress has been such a diamond in the rough for them. It's insane. Caleb Martin has been just absolutely cooking guys in bursts. Um, mm. I mean, like Tyler hero, despite having like minimal scoring impact has still been all over the place. Like he has done little things that have, I think that's where Kyle Lowry has mentored him a little bit, um, taking those charges, getting those bumps, doing the little yeah. things that don't show up on the stat sheet and just being an impactful player. So down the line, having impactfully eight or nine players is more than you can ask for, for a majority of the playoff roster. So Miami's in a good spot. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, for the Hawks, man, honestly, like DeAndre Hunter, man, like well, that's the one guy that did step up, man. Like yeah, yeah. points, 56, 46, 80, like good defense, like, for me, there's just a couple of takeaways. Like Miami's depth was just too much for Atlanta. It didn't matter yeah. or Lowry there. Um, and they, they just swarmed Trey. And I mean, like, he just looked rattled, man. The offense never looked in sync at all. I mean, huge room McDonovich were taking threes with like three to four seconds left. Like Trey would like dribble up for like 15, 16 seconds. And then after like the just the whole offensive system got exposed, in my opinion. Like they need to run some more off the ball plays for Trey. I yes. don't I don't know what they do, honestly. Like they made the Eastern Conference Finals, but, like, I don't know if they'll be going back there unless they make some moves. I build around Trey, Hunter. I don't know what you do with Collins and Capella. And, 
Yeah, and then oh, Miami's depth is too good. Jimmy Bowen played really well. I mean, if we if we knew Jimmy Bowen was going to play like that, I think we'd all be saying sweeps. But the fact that the Hawks yeah. won a game, but I mean, I guess Lowry and Bowen rose the game. But the fact that the Hawks won a game, they should just be happy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, no Capella in the series, but the Hawks were just clearly outmatched. Like, it was very clear from the jump, like, they were not going to hang with this team. Uh, shout out to them for getting a win. But, yeah, these were not, like, two evenly balanced teams. Um, and I think you make a great point, Carter. They do have to figure out what they're going to do with the Collins-Capella thing because, um, you know, Collins did not play well. I know he's coming back from injury, but did not have much of an impact in the series. And I really feel like, you know, based off the playoff run that he had last year, didn't play well during the regular season. Put either um and you know they signed him to that huge extension i had um a hawks fan come on the pod about maybe back a month or so ago and that was his biggest thing was like you know they got to get rid of collins because if he's going to be the 25 million dollar man he's got to be able to step up and be that second option and we didn't see that at all from him in these yeah i'll never forgive the nba community for at one point saying john collins was a better player than pascal siakam Hmm. uh there was legitimate malice in that take and the hatred in my heart grows daily for those Hawks fans who were like, well, John's Collin has him in, in this and this and this. And I'm like, if you can sit here and claim that John Collins, regardless of circumstance is a better player than Pascal, then you are a delusional person and you need to recheck what you're watching. I'm actually super proud of Okanwu's like confidence level yeah. throughout every iteration I've seen him play. Unfortunately, they have him in like a log jam of rotation right now. So I don't think we're ever going to see his full potential as long as Capella and Collins are still there. Um, I think Jalen Johnson is such an interesting piece for them. That is unfortunately not going to scrape meaningful rotation minutes. I think Cooper, Oh my God, he's could be so much more, but unfortunately he's six one and plays next to Trey young. If he, well, sorry, six, six, one on in platform shoes. Right. Um, I think Herter is a must keep just for his flashes Mm -hmm. of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, you got to pick a direction. Like Carter said, what, what are you doing with this current roster? You're a year removed from the Eastern conference finals. And now you are getting bounced in the first round. The inconsistencies there is are an insane thing to like put into the broad spectrum. So like, do you look at the bottom line and say everybody uh, older than Capella, so Bogdan, Wright, Dang, Gallinari, Lou Williams, just go, or do you package Collins for another young guy and hope that you can fix something with Trey? Because you do not need uh, a very skilled or superstar big next to Trey. You need a guy who can bang down low, catch lobs, and run the pick and roll. That's exactly what Capella is, but injury, injury, injury. You can't count him to be on can't count on him to be on the floor consistently. So, like, what do you do going forward? You obviously you're not panicking because you have so much youth and your timeline's not incredibly limited. Like, for all you know, Jalen Johnson could be that four that you're looking for, but you got to trust that though. And right now, I don't think they do. Yeah, I, I think moving forward, um, you know, I, th- I think you build around Trey. I like that you added Herter because I do think that his secondary creation is good for them. Um, Hunter and the Kongu. I think those four guys become the core of this team. You try to get whatever value you can for Collins and Capella. Cause like you said, Capella does like fit the role almost to a T for what you want yeah. at the center position with Trey. Um, but yeah, like just the injuries, just the inconsistency of being available. It's just can't really rely on that. And I do think a Kongu is ready for the starter role. So I, I think you move forward with those four guys. You try to get value for Collins or Capella. Um, I, I like DeLon Wright. I think he's been good for them. I'd like to see him stay because I think him as like a defensive guard paired with Trey has been nice. Um, yeah. But other than that, 
I mean, yeah, keep Jalen Johnson, keep Shreve Cooper, the young guys. Um, I like Skylar Mays, quick shout out to Skylar Mays. But yeah, other than that, like Gallo's got to go. Lou Williams, why is he still in the NBA? Um, just yeah, a lot of ancillary pieces that I think. And, and and wave Kevin Knox. Just wave him. I'm I don't sorry. know, man. Hey, you see this? I, <laughs> I think Kevin Knox for 36, he's averaging like 70 points per 36 or something. I think if he was in the right environment that gave him bursts of those shots, he would look great, like the Toronto Raptors, for example. Um, but he's not in that position in Atlanta. Um, not to mention as like a weird forward because he's not as agile as you'd like your three to be, but he's also not like fundamentally gifted to play the four. Yeah. So he's a weird hybrid position that I think unless you – like tell Collins that, Hey man, you're going to be the full-time five. You just can him and set him go. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Jalen Johnson definitely has potential, but that's the thing is like, you have to give him the minutes. You have to give him the development. Yeah. So yeah. Someone like John Collins, I think has to go. And then looking at uh, the Miami heat, I mean, they played really well in the series. Um, they shut me up a little bit because I am kind of a Miami hater in terms of like their long-term like postseason outlook. Um, but I still have all the same questions. You know, I still don't trust Jimmy Butler to take the big shot. They give it to him every time. Um, and I don't trust him to make those plays. Um, in general, their half court offense is a little bit stinky. You know, I, I don't really love what they got. Like guys like Struess, like you mentioned earlier, has have been great. But overall, like I just don't really trust their offense in the half court, especially against like you look at like the Celtics or the Bucks is who they're going to face in the conference finals. And, you know, I just don't really like their chances there. But what do you guys think quickly before we uh, move on to the next series? In terms of like the Heat's uh, outlook of moving forward, yeah. Maybe to the finals. Are <laughs> right, you got them in the finals? Yeah. All right, my mic Miami to the finals. Why so? Man, I don't know. I don't agree with the half court offense. They got a lot of three point shooting. They stopped the three ball defense. Uh, they got a lot of options, man. Like if Jimmy's gonna play, obviously it depends on Jimmy. But if Jimmy's gonna play like that, I, I trust Jimmy to put up twenty to twenty five. We saw Bam like. Yeah, Spam was really good on defense this series, but besides last night, he's been so shit on offense. Yeah, so, like, his of, offense is really frustrating. Yeah, like, I kind of expect him to get a little bit better or at least a little bit more aggressive. So, like, maybe he'll be the same going up against harder defenses. I don't know. I just feel like Lowry is a big piece, man. He'll, he'll, like, Lowry only played, like, two games this series. Yeah. But I feel like we're actually going to see Lowry. And then you got Vincent, Martin, Struess. I just feel like Spo knows how to, like, operate those guys. And then after, like, they should beat Philly – or Toronto. Yeah. I mean, they should smack us. Right. I mean, maybe not us, actually. I don't know. Raps in seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. Yeah, but no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think Miami. It's a, the the Bucks. I mean, like that last series last year kind of felt like the the Nets and Bucks series. Like if, if Miami steals that game and uh, Chris Middleton doesn't go insane in overtime and stuff like that, I feel like that's a completely different series. You know, so yeah. Uh, be yeah I think I just think the path exists, Carter, because like I, I think Spolster is the best coach in the league. Um, yeah. and I don't really think there's much debate about that either personally. Um, and like, like they do have shooters. Um, but what it comes down to me is like, I just don't really trust Jimmy Butler and like this team ha- does have such a higher ceiling. Um, if Bam is going to be at his best, particularly on the offensive end. Um, but I just don't trust it. Like, I just don't trust those two guys. I don't really think that Tyler hero is going to have seven straight good games. I don't think that Kyle Lowry is going to play seven straight games. Um, just from what have we seen this season? So like, it, it's just too many question marks. Um, if it all came together, like I can see them in the finals, but it's just too many different things that they're relying on that I don't trust. Yeah. Um, again, like I think, I think if it comes down to it and you're relying on Caleb Martin, Oladipo and hero all to be clicking at the same time, because 
that's a very unlikely situation. Um, I think Lowry does add another wrinkle to the offense that they lacked last year. Uh-huh. And you're seeing that not even on the end of creation, on just the end of his gravity actually exists at the one. Um, you can't ignore the fact that Lowry can get a quick 18 and eight. That's, that's very possible in Lowry's book. So I think Carter's got a great point with the addition of multiple weapons now. And if Bam can be slightly more aggressive, I think they're set for a finals run. That's fair. That's fair. I just, I just have too many questions. Just too many things I think have to go right for them. Um, just comparison to like the Bucks to the Celtics. But let's let's move on to the Raptors Sixers series because I know that Carter definitely has a lot to say here, and I know he has to go soon. So I want to make sure we give him plenty of time. Yeah. To get Let, off all start Carter off on this one. So I just want to start off by saying, if anyone in the history of the NBA is gonna blow a 3-0 lead. It is going to be a team led by Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, and James Harden, and it would be the city of Philadelphia. So I'm just saying, if any team's going to do it, it's going to be the Sixers. I'm not putting out the like I'm not like putting that possibility to bed yet. So Carter, I'm going to kick it to you. Honestly, take this wherever you want because I'm sure you have plenty to say. I'm going to just let you take this wherever you want. Go ahead. For a couple minutes here, like honestly, this has been a crazy like roller coaster series. Honestly, like I was at Game Three when Embiid hit that shot. You know, Precious missed those free throws. Like. My heart literally sunk. I was like, damn, we're going to get swept and stuff like that. Like, Siakam looked horrible. Like, didn't look horrible. But those first two games, like, he wasn't impact- impactful the way he was in the regular season. You know what I mean? Like, his numbers, if you were looking at the boss score, it wasn't like that. But they were just, like, atrocious on defense in so many ways. I think they were overhelping on Harden a little bit. Yep. I'd want to be this guy, but there was the whistle was a little bit uh, looser than I thought. Or not, it was tighter than I thought, sorry. Like, they were calling right, everything. Right. That wasn't good. And then after game three, I mean, I expected Siakam and Fred to show up, but I was also worried about Fred's, like, health and stuff like that. But yeah, you, you've that been on – sorry to cut you off, but you've been on the Fred thing for a while now. Yeah, just because, like, I think he's shooting – I was looking at it yesterday. He shot 34% since February 15th. So then – and his defense hasn't been the same. Fred's a good right. defender, and he's still – he's still, like – he's not a, a liability out there because of his IQ and stuff like that. Like, he's still averaging, like, a block a game, which is insane for a point guard and stuff yeah. like that. But well, like, I'm just picking him out a little bit. Yeah, when when he was going up against Maxi, like sure, I'm okay with him going up against Maxi when he's full healthy. But mm-hmm. that that like Fred doesn't have the best first step to begin with, but he can keep his body in front of you. He can't do that against Maxi. You just get absolutely cooked in these two yeah. games, and that's what, and that's why I was happy uh, happy that like Fred, not that was Fred ruled out, but I like maybe there is an opportunity to like maybe win, especially after game four too, because you can see like the length, just the length is just so much different. Like when you have five guys out there who are six nine, because like even Trent's not like. It's not like Trent's playing like 42, 43 minutes a game. Like he's only playing like 33 to 38 minutes a game. Like mm-hmm. they're going with that big line. Thad Young, I don't know why he wasn't playing in, the first, in game three as much. I understand the finger in the first two games. He needs to play more. Like, man, he's actually a difference maker out there. Like as a leader, everything. Precious, I'm just like, I'm amazed. And Joel just looks gassed, man. Like they scored him six straight possessions. The finger's bothering him. I honestly think he thought that series was done after game three. Like mm-hmm. I, he forgot that he had to play game four. Like, I think he had a little mental lapse. Like, it was just such an emotional, like, that was the shot, like, for him, like, why hit? And that was, like, that was his moment. Like, he told Drake they're going to get swept and stuff like that. He thought it was in. Like, it was there for them in, like, the third quarter and the second half, especially after Fred went down in game three. And then they just looked horrible in game five. And I feel like the Raptors know what they need to do now. And I think Philly looks out of sorts. Is Niang going to keep shooting 75% from three? Is Danny Green going to hit another four threes like last game? Is Tobias Harris going to keep shooting, like, 56%? Like, and is he going to keep guarding Siakam the way he has in this series? Yeah, exactly. Tobias Harris has been shutting me up in this series, man. Like, he's been playing really well. 
Oh, 100%. Even, and then even Maxi now, like the raps are like that length is really starting to bother Maxi. Maxi yeah. is not going to go through three. He's got to do a floater basically every time with mm-hmm. the contest. And I mean, the raps didn't shoot well from three last game. I know Philly, uh, Philly, Philly didn't either, but Philly shot 42% from three in the first four games. And I just don't think that's sustainable. So, I mean, like, yeah. the law of averages say, like, the series is trending in the way we want. I think the series is finally starting to play like we want. Like, five will not shooting well and stuff like that. Like, the series being low scoring, like, do we ever think that the Raps scored one, one to 11 in a playoff game? They lose by 20. Like, right. not at all, right? And Trent's healthy, Barnes is back. So, yeah, I'm feeling good, but honestly, I feel like could win. But I'm just happy Siakam stepped up. And, you know, this season's a success either way. If we got swept in four games, it was still a success, but then we would have had questions with Siakam and stuff like that. We know friends are like, I'm just like the last four or five days and how this has all turned around in the last week. has just been unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. Mitch, how much are you allowing yourself to think that this series is still not over? Like, are you still like, do you think the Raptors can still win the series? Oh, I think, I think the series is far from over. There's two more games to be played. I think it's a game seven series, no matter the, I think a big oversight that a lot of people are just now like tuning in on is that if you flash back to the first week of this season when every major outlet, the athletic, the ringer bleacher report PTI around the horn, all came out with thinking where the Raptors would be. Not a single one of those outlets had Toronto higher than the ninth seed. So Toronto finishing as the fifth seed is an over accomplishment in their eyes, but that's exactly what we're capable of. And we could have pushed for the fourth. It just didn't trickle out in our way, but that's proof in the pudding that this is what this team's capable of. Another thing a lot of people don't understand about this Raptors team is the timeline. So out of the ages for this entire, entire roster, and I'm going to include the two way we have here. So Scotty is 20. Justin Champagne is 20. David Johnson's 21. Achua is 22. Banton's 22. Isaac Bonga's 22. Monty Brooks is 23. Malachi Flynn's 23. Gary Chan Jr. is 23. OJ Ananobi's 24. Svi Mihailu's 24. And then oldest we've got is Thad, which is 33, and he's still got legs underneath him. Pascal and Freddie are, are attempting to get to that peak because I still think they've got another little like smidgen to get there because mm-hmm. Pascal's 28 and Fred is 28 as well. The thing that bugs me the most is the people who are flipping the script and now saying like, wow, we knew this was going to happen with Toronto being able to contain Harden with their length and everything. It's like, no, 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 no. The narrative wasn't, oh man, this is going to be such a tight game. It's just like, Embiid's going to eat. He's going to get 40 and 20. It's not going to matter. Toronto's not even supposed to be here. It's like, you can't flip the script now, now that Toronto's coming back. And if there's any coach in the entire league that can look at a 3-0 deficit and be just like, doesn't matter. We're taking it game to game. It's going to be Nick Nurse. Mm -hmm. Nick Nurse is the only coach I know of that down the line can be like, I need you to exactly go out there and target Thibault. I need you to target Niang. I need you to not have, because like, don't get me wrong. The first two games, ludicrous, ludicrous scoring by Philly. There was right. like, there was quite literally nothing you could do about it. You had to sit there and watch as they just like, like if that version of Danny Green existed for the 2019 Raptors, we would have gotten 16 to no. Like that's <laughs> it just. A combination. It was just a combination of things. We weren't playing good defense. They played absolutely insane. Yeah. Harden was hitting big threes. They just couldn't miss. Tobias Harris kicked out bang. If Tobias Harris was playing like this, we would have lost in 2019. Yeah. Same with him in three. And I think the big thing, there's, there's a couple of key points to like that. Everybody needs to take away from this. Precious is here as a building block to stay. He could be a legitimate pillar of this team. And Carter's been on record for supporting Precious for a while now. And a lot of people initially, like, 
it, yeah, if he makes those two free throws, I'm sure the whole idea of him would have been a lot brighter, but he's still, he's, he's kept us in games with his momentum and his rhythm. I've seen him jump nine times consecutively for an offensive rebound and get it over Embiid. And it's been insane to see that happen. One thing that's really impressed me is Gary's not just a shot creation, but his secondary decision-making. If he sees that Harden is dropping even the slightest on a screen, he attacks him. He goes for that initial fight in the lane and it works 90% of the time. And it's amazing for the people who, because there's a, there's a skepticism going around where OG fell off. The dude's putting up 24, six and five, man. Like OG is out here looking fluid and productive. It's insane. So going forward and I'm on board with the see where Freddie's at come next season and then sort of figure out a direction. I'd love to see a world where we're running Scotty at the one Gary at the two OG at the three Pascal at the four and precious at the five for extended runs, because that's a lineup that plays hungry that can cover one to five. No problem. It's like, if you've watched Gary really dig in against Tobias, it's astounding. He's played some stellar defense and people don't talk about him having the instincts. Like the steals are great for the numbers, but him reading the passing lanes and still being a potential number one option for scoring. It's insane. It's insane that nobody talks about that. And even on Harden, like in game five, like it didn't, you wouldn't see it in the box score because he didn't get steals. But like, I think he poked the ball loose on him about three or four times and Harden's trying to do the he left He had Harden so frustrated and nobody talks about that. And that's the part that makes me so ridiculous. So Dion, to really like dig into it, I think this Raptors team is not only this, this whole season is a win just because you're getting reps for all the young guys, just because you're getting reps for the guys who don't have playoff experience, but you're, you're getting a metering, a measuring stick for how far into the Freddie Pascal experiment you're willing to go. Um, Like if you go to the next round, maybe you look at Freddie as your full-time one next year. And then you sort of figure out, you know, what's going on. I'd still love if they really dug into the idea of Pascal as like your one B kind of thing, because Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know yeah. if I'm left field here, but I feel like Gary Trent, by the time he's 27, because I want to hold on to him for as long as we possibly can. And with his development, his trajectory, he could potentially be on a playoff team, that 1B slash 1. He's got that creation. He's got the fire for it. Wow. And it's it's not as though that I'm like taking this in a vacuum for seeing what he can do in this playoff series, but come on. he He's going up against a Philadelphia team that was favored at one point in the season to absolutely dominate us. And he's taking Harden out of the equation. I don't know what more you can ask for him. Yeah. And you're in a hot, I mean, like he's in Portland, it was a completely different rule. Portland was literally just catch and shoot off the book. Like he was playing, yeah, he's playing off over the, the best yeah. player. And really just get open to get to shoot. Now, like he's, I, I didn't know he had a bag like this at all. Like and mm. he's only 22. I think he may be turning 23, but like, I, I don't even want to know what he's going to be when he's 27. Like, yes. Like, I think he's one of those players where he's like, He's really good when he's like already younger, you know what I mean? But like, I still think he's gonna get like, I still think he could average close to like 20, 22 points a game. Like, I'm yeah. very with good playmaking. Like, I've seen his playmaking improve so much in such a short span. Like, when Fred, Fred are one of the guys that I've seen him drop four or five assists. Like, I would never think that like 18 months ago. Uh, I I don't know if I see the 1B thing with Gary Trent. Um, his last three on championship team. I, I'm not, see, I don't know. I don't know if I can see Gary getting to that level. He is just 23. He's already um, four. He's 24? No, he's, he's, 20, he's 23. No, he's, he's 23. 23. He's already four options. I could see him. Like, he definitely has levels to go, um, given how young he is. Um, but I don't I don't know. I guess I just don't really see, like, 
I don't want to just say the juice, right? But like, I just don't really see him being that sort of on-ball creator at that level. Um, I definitely could see him being like a complimentary scorer, like um, playing off of said 1B. But I don't know. I mean, you guys would know more than me, seeing that you guys are both Raptors fans, of course. But um, we just three, so I just like I don't know. 18 points. He's already averaging 18 points, and this is the first time he's ever gotten a rule. And I mean, like, yeah. he has been efficiently. He's improved. Like last year, he shot 39 percent. This year, 41. Like he's went up 20. He's went up two percent in threes. Like. Oh, and it's the Raps development too. That's why I trust it too. I think he could, and it's for it's different. It's not like I'm saying like he can be a three option or a two option on the Raptors to win a championship. You know what I mean? Like right. yeah. Kyle Lowry and Siakam, like I don't think they're like second options on a championship team and just like in general, you know what I mean? Or like or yeah, what I get what you're saying. Yes. You know what I mean? But they still won. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I still think they're gonna need that star eventually, and we hope it's Scotty. But I still think you can live by with a Scotty, Siakam, Trent, and others. Yeah. See, see a, I think it's Scotty. Like, I think I think going into next season, like Scotty at the one is the future. Like, no. I like Fred Van Vliet. Um, like he earned his all-star appearance this year, but I think Scotty at the one is where this Raptors team hits its ceiling. Yeah. I think a thing that's really it like a lot of people don't they don't view it as a trio, but the chemistry between OG Trent and Scotty is mm-hmm. really apparent on the court already. And I mean, I don't know how often American television has the Scotty Barnes and Malachi Flynn peanut butter and jelly commercials, but they have a sm- <laughs> they, they have a Smuckers commercial where it's just them making PB and J sandwiches, watching film about PB and J, and the chemistry <laughs> is hilarious. So they, they they're they're really tight on and off the court. But one of the things that I I and this is like I might be like a naysayer for this one. I might be like a little left field, but. I would not be angry if they decided to move on from Birch and Boucher and just Mm. decided to give Thad Young more of those reins in that five position. Um, Carter's right. The first two games, why wasn't he on the court as much? His impact was immediately felt last game. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring up uh, Embiid touching earth, trying to guard a 33 year old (laughs) Thad Young, but uh, just, just the tertiary passing, just the shot creation, just the playmaking in general is great. Um, a lot of a lot of sleeper people that uh, are if, if they've watched the 905, Delano Banton, David Johnson, and Champagny have been insane. I mean, Banton was putting up 30 piece triple doubles for the 905 Raptors. So yeah, if Raptors you were to like crazy, yeah, if you're gonna look at like a development team that could potentially turn a guy like Gary Trent Jr. into a 1B, it'd be the Raptors. And right. again, I'm not saying that conventionally speaking, that they have one of the better you know, cores to build on in the league, but they have the development team to take that late first rounder, mid second rounder and turn him into a lottery quality player. Right. Getting back a little bit into like the series itself though. I want to talk about precious because the way that he's played, like particularly the way he's played against Embiid is just really been impressive. Like you said, like that play he had where he jumped up nine times to grab that offensive rebound. Um, Carter mentioned earlier, uh, I mean, it wasn't all Precious, but they attacked him on like seven straight possessions, Embiid. Um, and Precious was like a big part of that, just taking him off the dribble, going right to the basket. Um, Precious, to me, like like I remember when he was on the Heat and even going back to like his Memphis days, I saw him and he definitely saw himself as someone that was going to play more on the perimeter, like someone that wants the ball in his hands to like create. But I think on this Raptors team, playing him at the five, uh, and like Raptors don't really have a five, of course, but in effect playing him at that five position, like that's really like unlock some things for them because he is a little bit slight given that he's what, 20, 21 years old at this point, but like he does have size, right? Like he can definitely like survive in the paint. And I think that was something that 
you know the Raptors lacked all years like any sort of like interior presence not that he's like a back-to-basket type of guy yeah. but just the fact that he's someone that can bang in the middle of the, like the middle of the paint like I think gives the Raptors a new element that they really needed yeah I think big... no no you go Carter you go yeah, I was just gonna say like that's I think like the Raptors went on that big like they went on a big run through like the last 20-30 games and I feel like he was a big part of it like yeah even his defense man like mm-hmm. it's just like it's unbelievable I'm like People in Miami are not even going to be able to recognize him if they play if they do play each other in the next round. I mean, Miami didn't attempt for one single three last year, not one, yeah, not yeah, one three. Yeah. People, people in Memphis projected him to be like, uh, I was just looking at like college like player comparisons and stuff yeah. like years ago, and some people had him like as a Pascal Siakam type because he like he like he was shooting off the ball, he had like transition like right, and if on his playmaking and stuff like that, that would be the key. But like, it's, it's he's just decision making like. Honestly, at times, like in the start of the season when it wasn't working, I was like, what are you doing? Like, because he would mm-hmm. just make stupid plays and he'd be chucking threes up, but like his three balls hitting now. Like, he was shooting like near like 37, 38% after the All-Star break, he's shooting 36% this series. And he's just like, he's making quick decisions again. And after, like, he knows he's decisive. You know what I mean? Like, if he's going to drive to the paint, he's going to drive to the paint. He's going to shoot a three. Like, he's just, he's quick with his decision right. making now. He was kind of lackluster, didn't know what to do and stuff like that. And his defense, like, and that's a good thing. I don't think we need like I was like wanted like a Miles Turner like a future center and stuff like that. We don't need that anymore. Honestly, I'm fine with pressure of a future center because we're such a our team likes to play help defense anyways, like mm-hmm. a switch. Right. So like we're such a help defense anyways that we like to be scrambling around. That's that's what we're at the best when we're scrambling around off shooters and stuff like that. Like game five, like there'd be a guy open and then after we just chase him off the line and they're contested. Then there's like no time to shot clock. It was mm-hmm. it was unbelievable. That's how we need to play. And then we when that happens, there's turnovers. And then we run in transition. We're not going to be a great team. We just need to live by, you know? Yeah. One thing I'll say about Precious is he takes, he does a great job of taking Embiid out of his element. Um, It's a little egregious, but as Raptors fans, we've come to expect that once a game, he will take a rise up transition three. And he's fully capable of doing that now. Before it, like, like if this was mid season and I saw that happen, uh, I would scream. I would be like, what are you doing, Precious? Against Philly, little known. I don't know if a lot of people have been paying attention. So against Philly, he's averaging 15, two assists, seven boards, 53% from three on two attempts a game, and he's pulling down a block and a steal. So just that alone is a serviceable starting rotation center stat line. Uh, And then you look beyond most of that, and majority of his matchup is spent between switching from Embiid and switching back onto Harden. And it's insane to see his defense be so malleable. Um, I think Carter's exactly right. Toronto's never had to have a superstar center. So Precious going forward, even if his jumps are incremental, I think he'll do just fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah I'm with you there too. Um, let's move uh, to the next series though, because I know Carter's got to get going. Um, I'll let you pick. You want to talk about Pell's sons or would you rather get to the Mavs Jazz before you got to go? Let's do math, guys. You're gonna do math, guys. All right. Let you get started off. <clears throat> All right. So, Mavs are up three two in this series. Um, blew the fucking Jazz out, out of the water in Game Five. Just absolutely embarrassing. Um, this series has gone more than any other series, basically exactly how I thought it would. Like I, I had the Jazz taking the first game. I had the Mavs winning in seven. It probably won't even go seven, given the way Game Five went, but. <laughs> I mean, this has been, like, exactly what I thought. You know what I mean? Like, the Jazz, we all know who the Jazz are at this point. Like, they are the most cut-and-dry team in basketball. And, you know, like, outside of Jalen Brunson playing, you know, like, better than we would have thought, right? Like, he's, you know, gone to another level in the playoffs. But 
outside of that, like, this is exactly what I thought would happen. You know, the Jazz can't stop dribble penetration. Rudy Gobert, no one, but Rudy Gobert can't guard the three-point line and the rim at the same time. And the Jazz offense is pretty predictable for the most part. And, you know, this is what you get. So, for me, there's not really a whole lot for me to say outside of that. Like, this has gone the way I kind of expected. But um, what have your guys' thoughts been in the series? I'll let you hop in, Carter. You got to go. Man, honestly, the series is kind of how I thought it would be. I mean, I said the Mavs would take a game off, uh, like, without Luka there in the first two games. Mm -hmm. I I predicted he'd come back either game three or game four. Uh, Yeah, they won game three, right? Wait, hold on. Now, I don't want to say this wrong. Now I feel like, yes, right? Yeah, they won game three. Yeah, they won game. Yeah, they won game three, and then the Jazz stole game four. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Stole game four. Yeah. So they won. The fact that they won, they went two and one without Luka is crazy. Jalen Brunson, unbelievable. I mean, Dinwiddie played. Nah, he played okay. He played a Spencer Dinwiddie role. I mean, like yeah, had some play. Like he was, he was decent in playmaking stuff, decent defense, but like wasn't efficient. You know, in game right, one. Yeah, shots weren't going in, but I think he's played well. Like, yeah. Yeah. Game one, I'm gonna be honest, it probably cost them the game, if I'm being real. Um, but other than that, like it's been pretty decent. The sh- like the shooting's been well. Cleaver's shooting 39%. Raton's is shooting really well. Like yeah, Benny Smith's shooting the ball. Yeah. Like they're just like they they're not guarding Rudy. Like they're not. I mean, like I know he can't score at all, and his like free throws are bad. But like until the Jazz, like they gave him the ball at the end of the game, in game four. They were doing a little bit at the end of the game just to get points and stuff like that. Slowly game down. I feel like. That's what I meant by force feed Rudy. Not to just say that like Rudy's a good offensive player, but like right. he was just getting that. And then after like I don't know, they're basically like doubling, like they're like half doubling Mitchell and stuff like that. And, like mm-hmm. the whole offense noticing. Ojan's played pretty well to start, but like yeah, Connolly's just Connolly. He plays he plays a miniature role now and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, Connolly to me like I feel maybe this is who he's been. Like I don't to be completely honest, I intentionally didn't watch a ton of the Jazz this season because I was like. I already know what they are, right? Like, I didn't really have a whole lot of incentive to watch them, but I do feel like Conley has really regressed. Like, he looks old and slow and just not nearly the same player that he was even last year, it feels like. I agree. But, yeah, um, you make a good point about Gobert, though, too, because, like, he is not very offensively skilled, but he is able to get himself right at the rim. And if he can catch the ball, he doesn't always catch it, but when he does – you know, and he's right at the rim, like he, he does force teams to foul him, put him on the line. So as long as he can hit at like a decent clip, it is efficient offense for them. Yeah. Mitch, I want to get your thoughts on this because, you know, I always want to get your thoughts on these things. You speak the game of basketball so eloquently. So what do you think, um, like, what have you seen that really stands out to you from this series? So I want to immediately apologize for what I'm about to say about Donovan Mitchell. Uh, he is not that guy. I think it's very okay. clear that the way Utah plays is the one of the most predictable ways in the entire league. It's easily schemed upon. Um, he is, for whatever reason, being absolutely – it's not even though he's getting, getting a lot of bodies thrown at him. He's, he's being like one and a half teamed. It's not even consistent double teams. He's just being taken out of his element. Half of that is because he's so reluctant to allow the Jazz – to not function in a heliocentric way. He's like half playing this. I want to play make half. Give me the rocket get out of the way kind of ball. Like he's still, mm-hmm. he's still putting up 26, five and four in five games. And that's not 
a crazy bad stat line until you look at the fact that he's only shooting 78 or 37% from the field, mm-hmm. 20% from three, and yeah. he's launching eight threes in this contest a game. You cannot be hucking up eight shots from beyond the arc and only railing on 19.5 of them. You can't be considered a superstar when you live and die by the fact that you, if, if you get screened, he's taken out of the equation. That's a free shot for whoever his man is. I've never seen a guy who is labeled a superstar by some I won't say names, but labeled a superstar by some and (laughs) and be so poor with executing basic pick and rolls. Um, It's a meme. The the fact that he gets Rudy involved so little. I get it. He doesn't have a deep bag to deep like to drop into. And Rudy's not exactly the best pick and roll savant, but anything any type of chemistry between them would make a lot of sense and i know jazz fans will bring up well actually the touches per game uh, between all of the teammates is actually relative to league average and listen the eye test does not (laughs) add up to that dude donovan mitchell is selfish shot chucker and he's being really inefficient so if he's a superstar that's a very poor and broad sense on the flip side jalen brunson is about to get a bag oh man this guy's gonna get paid now i don't know if dallas is the team that's gonna give him that bag because they've got their own issues to deal with in terms of figuring out who sticks around luca i like the dinwiddie um you know ability to be next to him but i don't know if he's a long-term solution if i'm a detroit pistons fan I'm kind of crossing my fingers to pair Brunson and Cade because don't get me wrong. Brunson's only 25. So this shot creation, shooting, playmaking, the three level scoring, pairing that next to Cade, who's just a fluid, natural playmaker. That's like, uh, that's like a match made. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think what what we've seen from Brunson just playing off of Luca, there's a lot of similarities there with what he could do next to Cade. Yeah. He's probably even in a bigger role because Luca has got the highest users in the league. I want to get back to Donovan Mitchell really quickly though, um, because (laughs) I, whatever stock I had in Donovan Mitchell, um, I think I'm going to sell, uh, and I'll probably buy some Gary Trent Jr. stock with it just based on the mini campaign you guys had for him. Um, but yeah, like, I just don't understand, like, forget all the offensive stuff. Why is he the worst defender in the playoffs? Like given his athleticism, I know he's not huge, but he's got a really long wingspan. Like he is one of the best athletes in the league. Why is he so terrible on defense. He's supposed to be one of the best defenders coming out of college. Like, yeah, that was yeah, that was the reputation coming out of Louisville, and he's very quickly gone into. Honestly, I, I would probably call him the worst defender in these playoffs. Like, just in terms of like how often he gets picked on. Yeah, honestly, Mavs in six. Yeah, I think I think Mavs <laughs> take game six. Um, Carter, I know you got to get out of here, so I will let you go. Um, everyone, make Pleasure. sure you go follow at Trey Talks on Instagram. Great content over there. Carter, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. You have a good one, Chief. All right. So do you we've have got a, we've got got a minute left? Mitch. Yeah. My uh my and my initial thoughts going to the series have completely stayed true, but I'm more on the Mavs love train and more on the Utah hate train because this is the same iteration of, of the Utah that we have seen for the past three years. Yeah, it's the same identity, the same coaching scheme, everything about it. When are they going to finally realize that they have to hit the rebuild button? Yeah, let's actually let's take a quick break and then um, we'll get into we'll finish up Mavs Jazz and then we'll get to Pelican Suns. So that'll actually do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Me and Mitch went on to record for about another hour, actually, after this. So I'm actually just going to post that as a second episode. So thank you guys for listening to this one. Make sure to check out part two. 
Thanks again to Carter for coming on. Make sure to give him a follow at Trey Talks on Instagram. And I'll see you guys for part two.